And as we do, we're going to ask the kids to go to the kids' program. Enjoy yourselves down there. Let your light shine. Bless your bruv. Well, thank you very much. I was sitting there thinking, how on earth do I follow that? That was outstanding. It was really amazing. Um, I have to confess that uh, when I was having lunch with uh, Pastor Byron on Wednesday or Thursday, I can't remember, he said to me, uh, look, really excited about having you on Sunday. It's going to be awesome. And by the way, you're on with LZ7. And there was this kind of blank look on my face. I said, great, that's really good, fantastic. So I had a Skype call with my son. My son's nearly 18 years old. And I said, um, speaking at Generations Church on Sunday with Pastor Byron, and LZ7 are going to be there. He said, oh, that's great, Dad. And he said, it's hilarious too. <laughs> really funny. So I YouTubed them and Googled them. But I, from, you've got to be really inspired by these guys because we, we as a church and me as an older person, now I know this is part of my introduction. You won't believe this. I've been married for 20 years to a New Zealander. I'm 46 years old. I can sense already unbelief in the room right now at that. My son's nearly 18. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. But, oh, yes. But the important thing for people of our generation is that we raise up the emerging generation, that we empower them. And I love the fact that you guys go into schools uh, talking to, imparting with kids of 11 and 12 and 13 years old. The thing is, youth brings life. Youth brings life, and in our church, we've got a, we've got a pretty vibrant youth group, and uh, sometimes we can get 20, 25, even 30 people on a Sunday morning from our youth group into church. And what I love about that is it brings life. It really does. And, and, and the older generation have really embraced it, and the reason they've embraced it is the music may not be to their taste, but what they love is they love seeing young people with their hands raised, jumping for joy because God has done something in their lives. And that's really powerful. And so I really want to encourage you, your church here, come on, let's raise up the younger generation. Now, it's easier for me, I suppose, because I've got a, a, a lad who's nearly 18 years old. And, and you know, he, he's really impacted by the gospel. He was, a, he was seven years old when he said to me, Dad, how do I make Jesus the boss of my life? If you're a parent here right now, Man, that is the best thing you want your kid to say. And, and w- when, when my son was little, when he was a little baby, a little boy, I, I thought, well, I, I want to let him make his own decision. I, I wanted him to come to a point. I'm not going to pressure him. I'm not going to force him. But I heard a preacher preach not long after that, and it completely changed my opinion. You see, when my wife and I die, we're going to leave our financial inheritance to our son. You know, that's, that's our legacy. My spiritual legacy is so much more important. Why would I not sow into him? So we sowed into him. We prayed with him every night. In fact, we don't, all, we don't do it every night now, but, but oftentimes we'll go into his bed because we kind of all go to bed at the same time now because he's, 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 he's nearly 18. But we'll just have a time of prayer. But from, from as, as young as a baby, we would pray with him every night, and that's what he knew growing up on that one night when he was seven years old. I went in to pray for him. He said, Dad, how do I make Jesus boss of my life? And so I held back the tears, and I said, well, son, it's Margaret. And then the first time in church, I saw him in worship, and he's got his hand raised. And I'm like, oh, man, thank you, Jesus. That's incredible. And then the first time in a prayer meeting, I hear him speaking in a tongue I don't understand. I'm thinking, come on. You know, he's 11, 12, 13, 14 years of age. I'm thinking God's done something in his life. He's going to be a powerful man of God. So if you're a parent here, invest in your kids. Don't believe the lie that, oh, you know, they'll just make their own decision without you. You've got to, you've got to impart what, what God has done in your life to them. Pass it on. It's really, really important. So I have the privilege, and it's a great privilege to pass to Equippers Church in West London. How many of you have been to London? Quite a few of you. Okay, that's great. So if you know London, you'll know that you've got your Big Ben and the Houses of Parliament, Buckingham Palace, all within a very, very close proximity. You can say that's the centre of London. So we are 10 miles southwest of that in a great place called Brentford. Come on, you Brits on the front row. So just to give you perspective, 10 miles southwest of that still, you've got Heathrow Airport. So we're not right in the centre, but we're, we're, we're close. We're on the outskirts of London. There's Equippers Church in central London as well. And we're really excited about what, what God is doing. We've been pastoring for nearly four years. It feels like 40 years, but it's great. It's good. 
It's really good. You learn every day. It's, kind of, it's, it's called on-the-spot learning. It's fantastic. But we're excited about what God is doing. He's doing great things in our nation, and he's doing great things here. For those of you who weren't at Shout Conference, I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up. That would be embarrassing, and it would be unfair. But I want to encourage you, next year, get along. The tickets are cheap now. Until the end of May, I think, uh, you can get a full adult pass for $80, which is three evenings and two full days. You will go away impacted. Seriously, you will do. It's not my conference. I come over from the UK, but it's an Equippers conference, and it's fantastic. You will, you will leave there. God will have done something in your lives. And I tell you, on the last night, this is, and, and this just got me, there would have been about 2,000 people in the auditorium at the Vectra. And Pastor Glenn Berto, he presented the gospel in a way that I have never seen before. It was powerful. He used props, and it made me want to get saved all over again. And at the end, he gave an altar call. And I was, I was about six rows back. There was loads of people on, on, on the floor, as it were, seated on the floor. And he gave an altar call, and people just ran. Seeing young people, they just ran to the front. It was great. You know, in the UK, we were a little bit shy, a little bit timid. And if you want to get saved, everyone shuts their eyes and put your hand up. Oh, none of that. The guys said, come on, if you want to, if you want to make a difference for Jesus, if you want to get connected with him, run now. And, and it was just hundreds of people running towards the front. Whoa. There was a little bit of volume there. And people came to the... And, and, and I just stood there and I thought, wow, these kids could change a nation. They could change a nation. They really could. Last Friday, I was, um, I was preaching in a little church up in... Um, was, we're on the North Shore now, aren't we? Just a little bit further up, Hibiscus Coast. And small gathering. One little boy, 14 years old, never been in church before, been brought along by a friend, who he had met just days before. His little friend had said to him, you've got to come to our church. This lad had been to shout. He'd been, I think he'd been to the, the Thursday night. So he's inspired and he's excited about the gospel. This little lad comes in. And I, and I gave a message, which is different to what I'm going to give today, but I finished up with an altar call. And this little lad puts his hand up. Just fantastic. And, you know, I was ta- talking to them afterwards, and I said, do you know you two can change your neighborhood? I said to the lad, why did you invite him along? He said, because I just wanted him to get connected. And and, and that is the stuff of revival. It really is. And And I love seeing it. And I believe revival equals momentum. You know, if we're to have revival, we've got to have momentum. We've got to have momentum. I want to ask you a question to start with. And the question is this. Have you ever felt like you're in the front seat of a car, the engine is switched on, You've got an open road in front of you. The sun is shining. There's nothing to stop you. There's no obstacle, but it's like you're just stuck in neutral. And if you've ever felt that in life, that you know, you're kind of all ready to go, but you're stuck. You're stuck in, in, in neutral. I don't know if anyone has ever felt like that. But you've got no momentum. You're not, you're not going anywhere. And I don't know about you, but if I'm not going anywhere, if I'm actually literally stuck in a car, I get bored. I get frustrated because I want to move on. And I believe in life, and particularly in the Christian life, too many people are stuck in neutral. Too many people are stuck, and they're not moving on. And I believe that in, in, in church, there are too many. Now, dare I say it, if you get offended, well, you get offended. But there are too many boring Christians. And there are too many boring Christians because they're stuck. They're not doing anything. And what I want to do today is I want to give you a couple of keys as to how you can get momentum, how you can build. Momentum's so important. You see it in the sporting world. In sport, if a team gets momentum, they don't have to be the best team in the world, but they just get momentum and suddenly they're on a roll. Now, England, when they won the Rugby World Cup in 2003, by the way, they were the best team to win the Rugby World Cup. And just one little point, when we win the Rugby World Cup, we win away from home. We don't rely on in 87. See, that 87 87 World Cup, that doesn't count. There was only four teams in that anyway. South Africa weren't playing, and we weren't very good then. So that doesn't really count. And then 2011, home soil. You know, we, we do it away, all right? Don't we? Yeah, we do it the hard way. So we were world champions 2003. I can tell I've lost 85% of the congregation right now. I oh, know, you're there. You're good. To be honest, we were the worst reigning world champions because all our best players either retired or got injured. Woodward went on to different things. And then we were rubbish for the next four years. So we roll up at the 2007 World Cup, not in great shape, get smashed by South Africa in the first game, laughing stock. But then, oh, we got a South African in the house, okay. (laughs) 
then we win ugly. We win a really ugly first game and we get a bit of momentum and we grind on to the final. Had it not been for a really dodgy video referee decision, not giving us a try, we'd have been the first team to have won consecutive World Cups, but I'll leave that with you. Momentum is really, really important. There's a film that stars Denzel Washington called Unstoppable. It's about a runaway train. And if you watch the film, it's a really good movie. If you watch the film, this train just starts off and it's going real slow, really slowly. But I don't understand the laws of physics, but what happens is it just picks up speed. It picks up speed, and the film is all about this runaway train. But the thing about it is that it's unstoppable. And I believe that as Christians, if we get a bit of momentum, we can become unstoppable. And the exciting thing is that if I get momentum in my life, if Byron gets momentum in his life, and Hannah in her life, and Ted in his life, then what happens is when we come together as church, life gets exciting. There's an overflow. So it's really important for each person to get momentum. Come on, let's not be stuck in neutral. Let's not be stuck going nowhere. Now, let me give you an example of not momentum or non-momentum. This is just a little bit of fun. Okay? I, really, the opposite of what I'm going to talk about in terms of getting momentum, we're not going to touch on too much. But I just want to give you another sporting analogy. I come from Brentford, and Brentford have a football team. How many people here like football, or soccer, as you call it? Just a few. Okay, I'll move on quickly because not many people like football. But this is quite important for the analogy. Now, football's really big in England. And I support Brentford, and I support Brentford because my dad lived in Brentford and he took me to a Brentford game when I was six years old. So 40 years I've been supporting Brentford. Let me tell you that Brentford are not very good. They're not a great side. So in England there are four divisions. You've got the first division, which is the Premier League. You've got the second division, which is called the Championship. Then you've got the third division, which is the third division. Then you've got the fourth division. Now the third and fourth divisions are not great. Brentford have been in the third and fourth division every year for the past 60 years, bar one year, 20 years ago. So we're not great. We're not very good. But this season, this season we've been around the top for the whole of the season. And with three games to go, all we needed to do was win a couple of games and we're up. We're promoted. So there's a lot of excitement around the place. And it got down to the very last game of the season. We're third, and the team we're playing are second. Now, the previous couple of games, we've, we've blown out. We've, we've, we've choked. We've, we've lost momentum, okay? So now we're at home. All we've got to do is win. We can, even if we just win 1-0, that's enough. We'll finish second, and we're up. It's our biggest crowd for 30 years. 12,300 people pack in to our little stadium. After 90 minutes, it's nil-nil, right? So if it stays nil-nil, no good. We don't go up. In fact, the team that we're playing go up because the team we're playing is second. Now, Brentford are in the red and white stripes, black shorts. There's five minutes of injury time. In the fifth minute of injury time, this happens. Take a look at this. So we've, we've been given a penalty. It's almost going to be the last kick of the game. Nine times out of ten, you're going to score from a penalty, okay? You know what's going to happen, don't you? It gets worse. Turn it off. Turn it off. I can't watch anymore. Stop. (laughs) So last Sunday I was preaching at Pastor Ian's church, staying in Tauranga. And I knew with a time difference that if I, if, I, if I set my alarm for sort of 4, 4.30 a.m., I would wake up and the game would just be finished. I'd check the result. My son was going to the game. I'd have been there. If I'd been at home in the U.K., I'd have been there. I'm so pleased I was here. But I, I actually woke up to go to the bathroom at half past four, and I thought, I wonder what the score was. And I went back to bed. I thought, no, I'm preaching next morning. I, I've got to be responsible. I can't wake up now. I lay there for about 20 minutes. No, 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 I've got to check my phone. Check my phone. 
and it came up, Brentford nil, Doncaster won. Oh, disaster. And then I made the crucial mistake of checking for the details. What an idiot. So I went online, I went on Facebook, all my friends were on Facebook, they're Facebook messaging me, oh, it's a disaster. So I didn't get back to sleep. That's an example of losing momentum. Losing momentum, throwing it away. Here's the funny thing. Because we didn't go up, we, now, we, we finished third. So the teams that finished third, fourth, fifth, and sixth, they go into what's called the playoffs. So third place plays sixth place, and then fourth place plays fifth. And the winner of each play in the final Wembley, and the winner of that goes up. We played our first leg last night, and I thought, I'm not going to do that dumb thing of getting up to, to hear the result. So I woke up in a good time this morning, and it was Swindon 1, Brentford 1. It's not a bad result away from home. We take them back to our place. Check the details. Brentford scored in the 90th minute with a penalty. And the guy who took that penalty there was not the nominated penalty taker. The guy who scored yesterday was disaster. That's how not to get momentum. Let's get back to momentum, build a momentum. Here's what Jesus says. So in Matthew 10, yeah, yeah, in Matthew 10, Jesus has sent out the disciples and he said, come on, you go, you start doing some stuff now. So they start doing some stuff in Matthew chapter 11. John the Baptist and his disciples get wind of what's going on. And John the Baptist sends one of his disciples to Jesus. And he says to Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one or is there someone coming after you? And Jesus answers, and I'm paraphrasing here. Hey, look, the blind see, the mute speak, the sick are healed, the dead are raised, and the kingdom of God is preached. In other words, there's momentum going on. Stuff is happening. And then he goes on, and in Matthew 11, verse 12, he says this. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and lazy, passive men take hold of it. I'm just checking to see you awake. And forceful men take hold of it. Forceful men take hold of it. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and forceful men take hold of it. In other words, come on, we can't just take hold of this by sitting back. We can't just take hold of this by having a, well, she'll be okay attitude. No, we've got to be forceful. See, that scripture, I believe, should be a pivotal scripture for all Christians. Come on, the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing, and we take hold of it. We take hold of it. We embrace it. But in order to do that, we've got to make a decision. You see, when you're in your car and you're going to drive, if you're in a manual, you're not going to move unless you actually make a decision to Pick your foot on the clutch and move it into first gear. Or if you're in an automatic, you guys drive automatics over here, don't you? You just, you kind of just stick it into drive. But you still got to do it. You still got to make the decision. And I want to challenge you this morning. Come on, let's make the decision to get out of neutral. Let's make the decision to build momentum in our lives. Well, you're thinking, well, how do we do that? Well, I want to give you a couple of keys. There's actually four keys, but we're not going to get probably past the first one. But that's okay, because the first one is the most important. How do we build momentum in our lives? I want to give you two scriptures this morning, which I believe are pivotal to this. First of all, known as the Great Commandment, Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Maybe if we can put this on the other that would be great. Here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now notice that he says all your heart and all your soul, and all your mind, not a bit of your heart, or a bit of your soul, or a smidgen of your mind, come on, all of it, all of it, this is the first and greatest commandment, now of course, Jesus was being asked by a Pharisee, who was trying to trick him, but what Jesus does here in these verses, is he really sums up the whole law in just a couple of verses, this is the great commandment, let's read on, and then, the second is like this, love your neighbour, as yourself. Now let's just pause here for a second. Really what uh, Jesus is talking about is saying, come on, let's love God wholeheartedly. See, I love my wife wholeheartedly. And I'm really gutted that she's not with me on this trip. So we've been texting, we've been Skyping, we've been in contact. See, if you love someone wholeheartedly, you want to be in contact with them. You want to be talking to them. You want to be spending time with them. Now, she's a Kiwi, of course, and so we used to live here um, in the early 90s, so it's not like she's saying, oh, what's it all like? But, you know, I'm, I'm just saying, oh, I've been here, I've been there, and, you know, I'm just sharing my life with her, showing what's been going on, and she's been telling me what's been going on at home. And it's great. But I miss not having her here. But I, so I'm spending time with her the way that I can. You know, so often I, I speak to people, Christians, and, and they say, oh, you know, I just... I just feel like I'm stuck. I kind of can't move on. And I ask him a question. So when did you speak to God about it? When did you last sit down and open this? 
And if there's a pause, I know the answer is, well, probably not, not recently. See, God wants us to spend time with him. You see, the other thing about if you love someone wholeheartedly, you want to please them. I want to please my wife. I want her to be proud of me. I want her to think, wow, you know, I'm so glad I'm married to Stuart. You know, we build our lives together. She wants to please me most of the time. But that's what, that's what loving God wholeheartedly is all about. Now, we're not perfect. So let's, let, let's not get too you know, carried away with that. But, but if you want to just make your first move in loving God wholeheartedly, come on, just spend some time with him. And now I've heard sermons and I've heard people say, you know, they share how they do their devotional life. And, and, and often when I've heard some of these, you know, gigantic, enormous Christian men, you kind of feel a bit condemned. You know, it's like they, they're on their knees all day and praying. You think, well, I just can't do that. You know, and you think, well, I'm never going to attain that, so I'm just not even going to bother. You know, the, the, probably the best bit of advice I heard years ago was, come on, just make a decision. Just, just come before God and just recognize, actually, when, when Paul talks about prayer at all times, that doesn't mean that he's locked away in his prayer closet on his knees with his hands clasped. It just means that we pray our way through our day. And the way you do that is you just set yourself up. I've, in the natural, I'm not a morning person. In the, I was staying with Pastor Carl and Kirsty from Taronga, um, and, and, you know, I, I, I got up quite early one morning because I need to go to the bathroom. I'm, and I'm, I'm shuffling to the bathroom. I wear contact lenses. I'm blind as about without contact lenses. And I generally sleep with earplugs in. So I can't hear much. I can't see much, right? And I'm kind of like a zombie. I'm going, and I'm just coming back from the bathroom. I'm going back to the bedroom where I'm staying. And, I, and, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of lie on the bed for 10 minutes while I sort of wake myself up. Now, I bumped into Carl who just said, hi, Stuart. And I, I, I literally didn't see him. I didn't hear him because I had the earplugs in. And then I noticed him and I went, ah! <laughs> Not good first thing in the morning. But what I've trained myself to do is whatever I'm doing, I'm just going to lie on my bed. I'm just going to pick up my Bible. I'm going to open it. And I'm going to say, okay, Lord, today is yours. Today is yours. And I can tell you that my life has turned around from the time that I made that decision. Now, sometimes I just spend 10 or 15 minutes. It sets me up for the day. Sometimes I'm an hour and 10 or 15 minutes. And that's also great. But it doesn't always look like that. But what it does is it means that I can go through the day. I can pray my way through the day. Awesome. Very good. Okay, so that's the great commandment. And that applies to all of us. This isn't just the super Christians, right? This is, this is for all of us. Let's move on. So, the great commandment and the great commission. Matthew 28, 19. And by the way, this is point one, entitled, do what God wants you to do. If you want to get momentum in your life, just do what God wants you to do. Now, when I first wrote this message, I had point one as mission. Often, Pastor Byron, Pastor Ian will tell you that as a pastor, if you stand up and you mention the word mission, most people kind of look like that or look away. So I just say, no, just do what God wants you to do, because actually that's mission. And God wants us to love him wholeheartedly. And he wants us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, here's the thing. So many people find it very hard to love their neighbor, i.e. everybody else, as themselves. Why? Because they don't love themselves. How can you, if you hate yourself, you feel insecure about yourself, if you don't like yourself, if you don't value yourself, how can you value somebody else? I I think it's impossible. I just don't know how you can do it. But here's the key. It all starts off with loving God wholeheartedly. If you love God wholeheartedly, you get an understanding of who he's made you to be. You get an understanding of the fact that actually you're created in his image. Every day, every single day, he knew about before you were born. And that gives you confidence. Now, people are different personality types. Now, Linz and I are totally different. Okay? If I tried to be him, well, I can't sing for a start. I'm not a particularly good mover. And when he said for the old guys, if you just want to do that, I knew he was looking at me. I saw that little smirk. English people are not really known for their moves. We're not great dancers. It's like dad at the wedding, isn't it? Terrible. Okay, we're different. But the thing is, God's given me a confidence. Now, you might think, oh, well, you've got the mic. You know, you're easy to be confident with the mic. Well, well, maybe it is, but God has taught me that I can be confident in him. I don't mix easily with people. I'll just be honest. 
Naturally, meeting new people is something that doesn't come easily to me. I'm actually quite shy. I like my own company. But over the years, what God has done is he's done something in my life which has given me a godly confidence. I don't have an arrogance, but I've got a godly confidence. So if he can change me, he can change each one of you. And because I now can live confidently, I can love people unconditionally. Because I quite like myself now. I didn't used to. My son, as I said, he's nearly 18 years old. He looks like I wanted to look at that age. He's, he's tall, he's broad, he's a really good-looking lad, he's confident, he's really good at football. He's just awesome. He's what I wanted to be. I wasn't like that. And I'm being honest here. It, it took me years to actually come to a place where, do you know what? I, can, I like myself. I'm okay. Because God's made me that way. God's made me that way. So now I can, I can love others unconditionally. Let's go to the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. It says this, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We've probably all heard that scripture preached so many times before, and how many of us have sat there thinking, oh, I'm not really good at that. That's how people like Lings. He's an evangelist. He'll do all that kind of stuff, and he'll bring all these people to church, and really, I don't need to do that. I'll be honest, I've thought that. Yeah, I'm not particularly confident. You know, I'll leave that to the, the confident people, the evangelists in the church. There's always one loud person in church, isn't there, Byron? Always one loud person. But the mistake we make is we leave it to the one last person. And then the other mistake we make with that scripture is we think, oh, going to all the nations, well, that's for the missionaries. No, that's not reading the scripture right. For some people, it is important to go to other nations. I've just come back from my fifth mission trip to India. I love India. It's fantastic. I'm really inspired by what God is doing there. The church is growing really quickly in India. If, you, if anyone gets a chance to go there, go there, because they're so spiritually hungry. You know, they just come rushing forward for prayer. You don't need to ask them. They just want prayer. Fantastic. Very different to our Western world. But you see what the scripture is talking about here is make disciples of all nations. I look around this room. I had a wander around Auckland yesterday. All nations are here. You don't have to go very far. You see, when it says go, it might just mean go next door. Go and cross over the road. Go to your neighbor's desk at work. Actually, you don't have to go too far. You really don't. There's, I don't know about you, but I've just noticed there's unsaved people everywhere. Everywhere you look. You think, well, okay, that's, so, so how do I do it? You know, you've given me the great commandment. You've given me the great commission. Yes, I have. And that is for all of us. It's for all of us. But actually, we are wired differently. We can't all go and do rap songs. That's a special grace on these guys' lives. And aren't they fantastic at it? So they're doing what God has told them to do. And I, and I feel that a lot of people don't do anything because I think, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Well, let me point you to Colossians 1, 9 to 12. This is an amazing scripture, fantastic passage of scripture. Uh, Paul's praying for the church, but I believe that it's something you can pray over your life. Here we go. So we know the great commandment, we know the great commission, and then let's look at this. Asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Let's be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Let's, let's ask God, what is your will? What's your plan? What's your purpose? And how can I partner with you in that? Now, here's the amazing thing. If we understand the will of God, here's what the next few verses say. It says that we will live a life worthy of the Lord. This is just my bullet point of uh, verses 10 to 12. We can live a life worthy of the Lord. How many people want to live a life worthy of the Lord? You know, when I draw my last breath and I meet Jesus, I want him to say, well done, Stuart good and faithful servant. You might not have got everything right, but man, you had a go. Good on you. Good on you. Live a life worthy of the Lord. Bearing fruit. Come on, let's be fruitful. Faithfulness equals fruitfulness. Let's be, we, we can be strengthened with power. You know, so often in church, we just think, oh, I'm just a Christian. A little Christian. You know, my Bible tells me that I've accepted the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and he lives in here. Romans 8.11 says, The same power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. Now, I don't think I've got my head around that yet, but I'm trying to. 
Come on, if we can get a revelation, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. It will transform the way we think. It will transform the way we live. It should transform our whole lives. But there it is. It says we can be strengthened with power, that we have endurance and patience, and we do need that but we joyfully give thanks. Now, this is the product of knowing the will of God. How amazing is that? We need to understand how God has wired us. And it's taken me longer than I would have liked, but I know how God has wired me. I wouldn't call myself an evangelist, but my heart is to see people saved. And when I preach, people do get saved. And when I talk to people, people get saved. And I know how God works now. I know when I get the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Last weekend, I was down in Taronga at the Mount. I love the Mount. It's a great place. Now, being brought up in England, you guys all um, relate this, being brought up in England, you get taken to the beach. And our beaches have got stones on. And sometimes you might go to a beach with a bit of sand. You think, oh, fantastic, that's good. I met my wife in the UK, and I remember taking her to the beach, to Canberra Sands, because it's got sand. I remember looking around and, I was impressed with this. Yes, sand dunes, sand. She said, you call this a beach? (laughs) Yes, I call it a beach. When we came to New Zealand, she took me to the mount, and she said, now that, my dear, is a beach. And she's right, it's a beach. It's a great cafe there called Gusto's Cafe. I was sitting there last Saturday lunchtime. Bible open, just looking at this message, but just, just reading the Bible, making some notes enjoying a nice lunchtime, very relaxed. And, I, and a couple of people walked in and they sat on the table next to me. And, and I just felt a little nudge from the Holy Spirit. And I looked at them and I, nothing particularly remarkable, really just two middle-aged women. But I really felt, oh, just, 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 just listen. And I did. And I had a sense that one, possibly two of them might be Christians. And I had a sense that one of them at least might need, need a word. And so they started talking, and, and I, just, I just got the, the end of a conversation. I didn't hear it all, and I was reading this verse, um, the Colossians verse, and I just felt God say to me, you just need to go and speak to this woman and give her this verse. Okay, fine. I've done this before. It's not, I'm not nervous. Well, the worst she can do is say, can you not interrupt my lunch, please? It's fine. I'm not going to get offended. So I just went over, and I just said, look, I, I, I hope you don't mind. Um, I, I heard a little bit of your conversation. I've, I've, I've taken my Bible over as well, so I don't know if that was intimidating or not, but I took it over. And I just said, look, I'm a pastor of a church. I'm here in New Zealand, and I'm actually just preparing a message for tomorrow. And I just feel that God's given me a word for you. Do you mind if I share it with you? And her jaw just dropped and hit the table, and her mate then went and got a chair and sat me down. And we just had an amazing conversation. And she said to me, and it's a statement I've heard so many people make. She said to me, do you know what? I just want to know God's will for my life. And I said to her, do you know what? That's nearly a really good question. And she looked at me. I said, you know, it would be an even better question if you dropped the last three words. How about you just know God's will? And she looked at me again. I said, where's the emphasis? If you want to know God's will for your life, well, it's your life that's the emphasis. If we can understand God's will, then suddenly we get a revelation of God's will. We understand how he's wired us because we're now living confidently and we can partner with him. Suddenly tears just started to flow. She said, I get that, Stuart. She said, but I've just got a real heart for people. I said, well, that's awesome. That's really good. She went on to tell me that she was an alcoholic 10 years ago. She got dry, and now she's become a Christian, and she's just got a real heart for people. She said, but I don't know what to do. I said, well, what do you think God's will is? And she's confused. I said, well, what are you good at? And that's, here's a good question to ask. What are you good at? She said, well, I just like hanging out with people. I said, well, can I suggest something to you? You just hang out with people. It's not rocket science. Go and buy someone a coffee. And suddenly, and she kind of mentioned the word ministry. I said, I forget ministry. Don't bring that word into it. The the moment you start thinking about ministry and role and position is when you just get confused. Just what are you good at? And so I I thought, thank you, Jesus. I said, you know, so we went away and, 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 you know, at the end of it, she said, do you know what? You're an answer to my prayer this morning. Now, I just obeyed a prompting of the Holy Spirit. Now, why did I do that? Because I now have a confidence in who I am in God. I know how he works, or I'm getting to know how he works, and he gave me a nudge. Let me just give you another example, and I hope this is helping you. Because this isn't, like, this isn't hard stuff to do. It's not difficult. I run. 
not enough, but I run. I don't run as much as Pastor Ian there, but I run. And I've got a route that I run. And how many people here run? Okay, quite a lot of you run. Now, if you're a runner, what you do, if you're like me, is you time yourself, don't you? You've got the same route and you, you time yourself. And I'm always, comp- I'm com- I compete against myself. So I'm doing my normal route. And part of my route, almost at the halfway mark, is, this, is a, there's a park and it's a half a mile around this park. So I enter the park and I see a young man sitting at a park bench. And I felt God say to me, you need to go and speak to him. So, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm running, I'm approaching him, I've got nothing more. So I just run past him. And I'm running back, and so I'm about to exit the park, and God says to me again, you need to go and speak to that young man. I'm now really, I'm annoyed now because I've started my second lap, and I know that I'm not going to beat my personal best for that route. I'm cross. So I'm running. I can see this guy. He's just sitting, he's just sitting on this park bench. I think, I, I, I've got no idea what to say to him, so I just run past him again. This goes on. Third lap. And I'm about to go, and God says, just do, just do it. I said, okay, you better, you better give me something here because I'm going to look really stupid. I mean, he's, this guy's watching me. He's watching me. So I sit down, hot, sweaty, out of breath. And I just said to him, look, um, look, I, I hope this doesn't sound really weird, but I said, I run around here quite often and I just noticed you. I said, I really should have come and seen you before. I'm a Christian and when I run, I pray. And here's the thing about prayer. It's not just me talking to God, but God sometimes speaks to me. And on the first lap, I really felt he said to me that I need to come and sit down and talk to you. I've got really no idea what I need to talk to you about, but <laughs> here I am. And, and anyway, he didn't get up and walk away. He just looked at me. And so I introduced myself to him, and I just said, you know, what, what, what are you up to? Now, I had no idea how old this guy was. He could have been anything from 15 to 25. Some guys are difficult to, to age. And I just said, yeah, what, what are you doing? He said, oh, man, he said, I am so stressed. He said, I've got my exams coming up, and I'm just really stressed. And my parents putting pressure on me, and it's just I've, just, I've just come here to try and get some, you know, just a bit of focus, a bit of relaxation. And I just, I just said to him, look, do you know what? I can remember when I was 16. I know it's hard to believe. I remember what it's like. I remember the pressure, and it's really hard. I said, do you mind if I pray for you? He said, no, that would be great. I said, I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. Is that okay? He said, yeah, that's fine. So I prayed, and that was it. Now, there was no champagne moment. I didn't get him on his knees confessing his sins, but I believe that I sowed a seed. And as I ran back, completing my fourth lap, God said to me, well done. You did it in the end. Come on. It's exciting. It's momentum. Just at this church I was at a couple of days ago, we was at a prayer time afterwards and just praying for people. This guy comes up and, uh, and, and, and he, he wanted prayer for something. And so I, I'd done that. And he said, oh, look, if you've really got it in you, you could pray for healing. I said, okay. I said, so, um, I, said, well, what's, I said, what's wrong with you? He looked all right to me. He said, well, I fell off a 30-foot platform years ago when I was 22. He's probably about my age. He said, I've got a real problem with my back, my knees, and my feet. And I just, part of me inside, I thought, oh, my gosh. I just felt God say to me, ask him what hurts the most. So I said, what hurts the most? He said, my knees. I said, well, if you don't mind, sir, I'm going to lay my hands on your knees. Is that all right? He said, yes. So I put my hands on his knees. And I started to pray. And do you know what? I just felt some faith arise in me. As I prayed, now, I've... Since I've done this, I've, I've, I've put my hands on my knees. And when I put my hands on my knees, I don't really feel anything. But I just felt something, particularly in his right knee. And I just said, well, what do you think? Like that. But yeah, my knees are old. <laughs> he said, well, what I can tell you is that the aching's gone. I said, you mean you're healed? He said, yes. Just a little bit of faith. And that's the second key. Bit of faith. Come on, just a little bit of faith. Just do what God wants you to do and exercise a little bit of faith. You see, Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. How many of you have actually spotted the word now there? Often that scripture is quoted and it just says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. But my Bible has the word now there. And I believe that's there deliberately. It's not there because we're filling a gap. 
but it's talking about now, as in now, in the here and now, in the present. Here's a helpful definition of faith. This is my definition of faith. Faith is the ability to take God at his word so that what he says becomes our reality before we have actually experienced it. Faith is the ability to be sure, thank you, faith is the ability to take God at his word so that what he says becomes your reality before you've actually experienced it. You won't find that in the Bible. But it's the now faith zone. It's the now faith zone. Because when that guy said to me, would you pray for me, I just had a little unction to pray for his knees. Now, I could have thought that, actually, I don't have it in me. I've prayed for you once already. Go away, there's other people that want prayer. But I had an unction. Now, had I seen that healing before I prayed? No, but I just thought, now, come on, I'm going to believe for this. You see, in our church, our church is growing at the moment, which is fantastic. And we've had a prophetic word that we'd be at a certain number by the end of the year. And I'm saying to the church, come on, we're believing for that now. In fact, we're, gonna, we're talking along the lines of we are a church of 200 now. We're not. We're a church of half of that size. But we were a church of 70 at the beginning of the year, so we're going in the right direction. We had a prophetic word that said, by the end of the year, you will be 200. Now, you can respond to that in one of two ways. You can say, well, that's nice. We don't see it right now, so I wonder if that's going to happen. Or you can say, no, I believe that. This is the word that God has spoken, and I believe it now. Pastor Byron spoke about that this morning. He said, have you got the faith for today? That's my challenge for you. Have you got the faith for today? You see, here's the, here's the interesting thing, you know. When I, when I prayed for that guy with his knees, when I spoke to the lady in the cafe, when I, when I prayed with the guy sitting on the park bench, there was something about that that was just exciting. You see, mission and faith go hand in hand. And when you've got mission and faith hand in hand, life gets exciting. Come on, don't be boring. Don't live a boring life. Now, the thing is, with faith, you don't quite know how things are going to go. But, you've, but come on, let's take a risk. Let's take a chance. Let's take a chance. Who, where, where's the, you've got a keyboard player or someone who can do some backing would be really good. Mission and faith. They go hand in hand. Let me ask you, what are you believing for right now? Right now. What what has God spoken to you that you think, yeah, that was a word from God? Let me just tell you a story. When my wife and I lived here, we lived here 20 years ago. We got married two days after we got married. So we met in England. We dated for six months. This is not necessarily the way you do things. We were pretty quick. Dated for six months, got married. Two days after we got married, we come to live in New Zealand. My parents are not Christians. And so when we moved over here, I, my, my biggest fear actually was that my mum and dad would die with me in New Zealand and not know Jesus. Biggest fear. And I remember praying for my dad, praying earnestly for him. And just after that prayer time, I felt God say to me, he's going to be all right. He'll be all right. He'll come to faith, but it will be on his deathbed. Pretty powerful word. And I, you sure, God? And I just carried that with me. I kept praying for him. So we came home in 97 to the UK and they're alive and kicking. And dad's, mum and dad pretty fit. And then beginning of 2008, my dad was complaining of a backache. And, and dad was not a good patient. He's a male, right? You get a cold, it's flu. Not a good patient. And we just thought, oh, you know, go to the doctor. You'll probably find it's a slip disc. You'll be all right. So he goes to the doctor and the doctor says there's nothing wrong with him. And then suddenly one day, he can't walk. He gets out of bed and falls, and he, he, he just lost the use of his legs. So we took him in the car to the hospital, and he had some tests. And what we found was that he'd got cancer. And the word got worse because, actually, the, he got bone cancer, which was secondary. He'd actually got lung cancer primary, 77 years old. Death sentence. So I'm praying, God. And I remember the word. It's going to be all right. It's on his deathbed. I'm thinking, God, that's the word. I'm going to believe that it will be exactly as you said it would be. 
So my dad and I went on a journey. And my dad, when he got the diagnosis, he just said to me, Stuart, would you pray for me? And I prayed for him. And then every time, in fact, every time I go and see him, he said, would you pray for me? Said, yeah, I'll pray for you. And then one day I just felt God say to me, you've got to tell him you can't pray for healing. And I wasn't praying for healing. God was really clear. He said, you know, and I believe God can do anything. Just because he's 77 and smoked most of his life, God can do anything. God said, no, it's his time. And just imagine going to the hospital and your dad says to you, can you pray for me? And I just said, dad, I'm going to pray for you, but I cannot pray for you for healing because this is your time. He said, yeah, I know. I said, but here's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that you know the peace of God so that however long you've got left, you can go with confidence. So I prayed. Prayed that prayer. That he'd know the peace of God. People would come and visit him in his hospital room and they'd say, that's amazing. Your dad's such a good patient and he was an amazing patient. Now my dad and I had got a, a good friendship. We talked on, to be fair, a fairly superficial level for most of my life. Great sports fan and we talk about sport. And all I'd ever wanted to do in my life was to talk to him about the deep things in life and what mattered, the things of God. And I pray, come on, Lord, I'm believing that it will be exactly as you said it would be. I wanted my dad to be my hero. But until the point that he got sick, he wasn't. And I felt the Lord say to me, you need to write him a letter. And I wrote him a letter. I wrote him a three-page letter. As I wrote it, I cried. I gave it to him. Well, in fact, I gave it to my mum's gift to him because I didn't want to be there when he read it. He read the letter. Next time I go to see him, he just said to me, that's the best letter I've ever read. Best letter I've ever read. He came home for a period of three or four weeks to my mum's place. Still not saved yet, but every time, pray for me. Pray for the peace of God. And then one day, I went to see him, and I knew today was going to be the day. I went to see him, and I had it in my mind all planned out how it would be. I'd send my mum out shopping so that it'd just be dad and me, but my mum refused to go for some reason. I don't know why. But it was good that she was there. My dad said, would you pray for me? I said, Dad, the answer to that is yes, but not yet. Because you're going to pray. So I explained to him what we were going to do, and I led him to the Lord. It's four weeks before we died. It will be exactly as you said it would be on his deathbed. Suddenly, in those four weeks, he just experienced God. He knew a bit of Bible. He said to me, do you know, it's like the robber on the cross. That one who just looked at Jesus right at the end. I said, yes, Dad, it is, because he's going to be in heaven too when you get there. Just at the end. Just at the end. My last memory of my dad alive was um, he went back to hospital. And it was late one night. My mum was one side of the bed. I was the other side. And he'd do this quite a lot. He'd take our hands. And he'd just squeeze our hands he did that this time. And then he kind of sat up. He said, I want to pray. So go ahead. And he prayed a prayer that was powerful. It was like Jacob at the end of his life, when Jacob, with his dying breath, blessed his sons. My dad, he thanked God for his life. He thanked God for his wife. He thanked God for me and for my sister. And with that, he smiled and he just reclined. And that night, he went to sleep. It will be exactly as you said it would be. It's faith. It's the word of God. Come on, how many of you have received words right now? How many of you are hanging on to things that you think, well, maybe that's never going to come to pass? Come on, let's activate a little bit of faith this morning. Come on, let's believe. Let's believe when God speaks, he actually means it. Come on. All he's looking for is us to partner with him. That's all he's looking for right now. I don't know about you, but if I was sitting there, I'd want to respond. I hope you want to respond this morning. I'm going to give two responses. First of all, maybe just with every eye closed, maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to say to you this morning, if that's you, or if you have made a commitment to Christ before, but by your own admission, you'd be backslidden and not really walking with him. I want to say to you this morning that the most important decision you could make is getting connected with Christ. That is the most important thing you could do. I talked about loving God wholeheartedly. Well, once you do that, somehow everything else seems to flow. 
this morning, we're going to pray a prayer. and We're all going to pray it. So believers who are going to pray it, I'm going to lead you. But we're going to pray a prayer this morning. And if, if this is you, if you want to get connected with God this morning, all you've got to do from your heart with a bit of gusto is to pray this prayer. Just pray this prayer. We're going to pray it together. In fact, why don't we stand? Because standing up loosens things up. And when we pray, I don't want us to pray meekly. I want us to pray with faith. I want us to pray with conviction. So come on this morning, Generations Church, North Shore, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross, that he rose again for me. Right now, I ask you, Jesus, into my life. Come and be Lord of my life. I apologize for all the things I've done wrong and the times that I've let you down. From this day forward, I choose to live for you. Holy Spirit, right now, take up residence in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, just with every eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. For those of you who prayed that prayer for the first time or you're praying it as a reconnection, come on, raise your hand nice and high and wait for me to acknowledge it because I believe this morning there's salvation in the house. Come on. Just going to give a few minutes for, for those of you who prayed that prayer this morning for the first time or you recommitted your life this morning. Just lift your hand nice and high so that I can see it. It's the best decision that you can ever make. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Okay, now for those of you who this morning, you just, you feel like you're in neutral. You want to get out of neutral. You want to go through the gears. Maybe by your own admission, you say, do you know what? My life is a bit boring. This morning, come on. God is calling you to move through the gears. This morning, I want to pray for you. If that's you, why don't you just stick up your hands? I'm going to pray for, in, for you individually, but I'm just going to pray for, for, for just generally. But you can take that. Come on, stick your hands really high this morning. Those people putting their hands up this morning want to get activated. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Well, Father, for those this morning who have stuck their hands up, who said they want to get out of neutral, Lord, I thank you for that first step of faith that they've taken. Lord, right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you just come and energize them? Lord, just give them faith again. Lord, that they can just go through the gears. Lord, that they would step out and begin to do what you have called them to do. Father, I pray that they would love you wholeheartedly, that they would live with a confidence that allows them to love others unconditionally. Lord, this morning, would you just come and minister to them. Lord, show them what your will is. And Father, as they discover that, Lord, that they understand how they can partner with you to further the kingdom of God. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you, if you've got your hands raised, why don't you just begin to thank God for what he's done? Just, just, just where you are now, just declare, come on, just declare, I'm getting out of neutral. I'm not going to live a boring life. I'm going to live for God. I can pray for you, which is good, but the power comes when you declare it yourself. Right where you are, just declare, come on, Lord, I'm going to crank through the gears right now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.